Bio podcast. At Optimal Bio, we don't just balance your hormones, we balance your whole body. Our conversations range from nutrition to medicine with an emphasis on wellness tips to support your health journey. If you like what you hear, find us on the web at optimalbio.com and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Optimal Bio's Wellness Podcast. Today, we're happy to have Dr. Brandon back with us today. He is the founder of Optimal Bio. And today we're going to talk about progesterone and all the myths and facts, you know, related to that. So doctor, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I very appreciate it, Jim. So just looking up progesterone and looking at, um, you know, a typical definition for it, you know, it says a naturally occurring hormone that's important for the regulation of ovulation and menstruation, pretty much the basic definition. And then, um, you know, it goes on to talk about produced uh, mostly in female ovaries, also for men and females as well. It's also produced in the adrenal glands. Is that a fair definition? Yeah, we, we're focused every time we talk about sex hormones, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, we equate it to menstrual cycle, sperm, uh, fertility, um, that kind of stuff. Yes, it is. The, world, the word progesterone in Latin means pro-growth, uh, pro-gestation of the baby. But that's one of its couple hundred functions. Um, but yes, it's a, it's a molecule that's formed from cholesterol and that's, and it's also an intermediate, uh, mem- it's an inter- intermediate form for the adrenal hormones and the, uh, testicle and, uh, ovarian hormones. So let's go back for a second. So it's a natural hormone in your body derived from cholesterol. So kind of walk us through the, me- the metabolism, so to speak, or the mechanics of progesterone and how it, how it, it, it comes to being. Okay, um, in in our in our organs that need it, and we'll go over that a little later. Let's focus on right now the ovary, the adrenal gland. The precursor to all of our sex hormones is this four ring structure called the gonane. That's why Optimal Bio picked that four ring as our brand because that gonane comes from cholesterol, and then that becomes based on these hormone pathways, it becomes a, a thing called pregnenolone, and which then becomes progesterone. By, by these asthmatic processes. And then that progesterone, if it goes down the adrenal pathway, will form things we call the cortisone, glucocorticoid. Uh, uh, it'll be things called aldactone, which is uh, medical corticoid, helps the kidneys absorb salt. It goes down the other pathway, it becomes testosterone, which converts to estrogen in both the men and the women. So it's a, that four ring structure is crucial. And this is what's important. Cholesterol is the precursor to all of this. Your body makes roughly 2,000 milligrams of cholesterol every single day. It makes it, believe it or not, from sugar. Um, it doesn't absorb it per se from the gut if it's not what's called esterified, uh, bounded. So uh, glucose through multiple processes breaks down and becomes cholesterol. And then cholesterol becomes progesterone, which becomes these other hormones. And it's primarily used to uh, regulate menstrual cycles and um, to protect the uterine lining and so on and so forth. Yeah, that if we're looking strictly at fertility, what happens is in the ovary, the brain makes a thing called FSH, which tells the ovary to make release an egg. It releases the egg first by making testosterone uh, that then converts to estrogen. That's what the ovarian follicle does. When that gets a certain size around day 12, then the brain stops making FSH and makes LH. That makes the follicle or the cyst rupture, releasing the egg. And now the wall left behind there, instead of just making only estrogen, now starts to make progesterone because it's getting ready to make the lining nice and thick. So the beginning of the uterine cycle, the lining is called proliferative. It's getting nice and thick like a sponge. And then when progesterone grows, that supports it. If the baby implants, it's a place to grow. And then if a baby's not there, then the brain knows and drops the progesterone and you have your other cycle. So that's what it does for that reason. And um, the next half hour, we'll talk about the other functions. But that's where it gets its main main function in women is, is because of that. Um, progesterone is a sex hormone that classically, it's called the classical or genomic way, is it goes through the membrane of the cell into the nuclear membrane, forms um, 
and forms in the DNA and actually binds to the DNA, causing the DNA to open up, unstrip with this thing called messenger RNA. So it's called transcription. It's the initiation of the formation of proteins. That's what sex hormone, that's why they're anabolic. There's newer literature showing there's actually a receptor on the membrane. There's two types of receptors for estrogen, uh, for uh, progesterone called A and B. We'll go over that more detail later. So this is complex, but the simplistic part of it is it, it's a anabolic, it makes things grow properly uh, when it's in the right natural form. And that's crucial because synthetic progestins may have some components that's the same, but overall is not the same as natural P4 or, or, the, or the one that's a 21 carbon molecule. You kind of mentioned it earlier, but the relationship between progesterone and testosterone. Yeah. So if you look back at the scale up top, you have uh, you have um, cholesterol is inside the blood, gets into, this is what the left of the liver does. So it takes the liver in the LDL formula, takes the uh, the cholesterol in these, these uh, LDL particles, and then the cell receptors grab them, a thing called a star, steroid trans, um, uh, transmission um, anabolic uh, androgen receptor will grab it bring it into the mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of the cell. And inside there, it converts the cholesterol to a thing called pernagolone, which then leaves the mitochondria, goes back to what's called the cytoplasm. And there, with all these enzymes, it converts it to um, progesterone. And then progesterone converts the other pathways down to either uh, aldosterone, cortisol, testosterone or estrogen. So it's the precursor to those, to those besides its own structure, besides its own function, it's a precursor to those other sex hormones. So then if you're low in progesterone, are you therefore potentially lower with testosterone as well? Yes. Yes, it, it, it can be, but it's not a direct, it's just an, it's more of an intermediate form and your body will form it that way. The big thing with progesterone and women in their, in their in their ovulatory trying to get pregnant, it's called luteal phase. That's when progesterone dominates. When progesterone is low, it means a woman did not ovulate, so her cycles will skip and she can't become pregnant. There's a, def- there's a syndrome called luteal phase defect. That's what that is. That's in women's cycle. So, but again, it's in the, I'll say 50 years ago, 40 years ago, we thought, oh, that's the only function progesterone does. It's just for women, just for, um, just for ovulation. And if that's what the problem is, that's the problem. But now we know more, as you talked about, it, it does become a problem with testosterone. But the reason we're low testosterone is not because of low progesterone in our body. It's because when we have this fake estrogens, the neuroendocrine disruptors, that disrupts the whole system. So that that's what happens all that. So if you add a progesterone, that's not going to convert directly to testosterone. No, it's the, it's the, it's the step above that. That's the problem with testosterone. So we obviously talked a little bit about fertility. Let's talk about heart health and brain health. Oh my gosh. The, I want to spend the time on the brain. The, um, back to our receptors. We know the ovaries, the primary maker of progesterone. So as well as adrenal glands a little bit, but now we know studies, the brain actually makes it progesterone. Um, that's very important. It actually causes called neuromodulation. It causes neuroprotection. That um, actually helps the myelin sheath form along with estrogen together. Uh, it's a, um, it makes back to the way progesterone goes into the cell to do its work. It goes through the cell membrane into the nuclear membrane and can, and binds to the DNA. That's the classical model. The non-classical models. Now we know there's receptors on, I actually got a chart here. There's actually estrogen receptors now that are on, um, uh, estrogen uh, and progesterone receptors on the membrane themselves. There's an A and a B for progesterone. Um, a is good, B is bad. And, and there's also shown in the brain, Jim, that you could actually make the hormone locally extremely fast from local cholesterol. So it's a neuromodulator. They've shown that it actually helps prevent and help decrease dementia. So with these uh, endocrine disruptors out there messing up our hormones, could one also draw a conclusion that some of these drugs that are used to reduce cholesterol uh, have an effect on progesterone production as well? Yeah, overall, all sex hormones. And there are multiple papers showing that increasing statin take, one of the side effects should be discussed every time is an increase in, the co- in, an increase in cognitive um, impairment. Yes. You know, when I was reading the definition of progesterone uh, off this one site, um, it also, you know, a few lines down says not to be used for heart disease or dementia. I know. Is it crazy? I'll go over that. Why? From 1935 to 2002, 
35 was the first paper ever done on hormones given to uh, women. It was on women and hysterectomies. They used a pellet, by the way, was the form they used. And the first hormone they used was testosterone. Second was estrogen. They've given uh, progesterone orally because progesterone orally does not affect the liver clotting mechanism. So it's, it's perfectly safe. It also has a metabolite that actually goes to the brain to help, de- uh, to help initiate GABA, which actually decreases the brain excitatory pathway. Great. So in 2002, it was this one paper that said hormones cause breast cancer, cause uh, cognitive impairment. This is important to understand. That study did not use estrogen, did not use progesterone. It used Premarin, which is pregnant female horse urine, which has about 200, but 12 main horse estrogens. And one prominent one is an Estrone, which is again, more of the one that causes, has it more of a, what's called the alpha receptor uh, tendencies, which has more of the complication one. In the other arm, it gave the same thing, Premarin plus Provera, which is a medoxyprogesterone, which is a synthetic progestin, not a progesterone. So, because this molecule looks sort of like the natural one, it could bind to the receptor site, but does not mean it's going to do the same function. So progestins do increase breast cancer. In that paper, it showed a 24% increase, primarily older with age. Uh, Dr. Ferronero did a study in France in 2005, 2007. He did a great study, Jim. He put bioidentical estrogen and bioidentical progesterone in one arm, they found a decreased breast cancer of 10% because they're mimicking a youthful chemistry. And by the way, if you add testosterone to that, even decreases it more because there's more testosterone receptors in breast tissue than estrogen receptors. Number two, in the other arm, they gave bioidentical estrogen and synthetic progestin, Provera again. It increased breast cancer 69%. It causes more of a spasm of the coronary artery. That's kind of heart attack that happens to women and also decreases brain synthetic ones in the brain, increases what's called neuronal apoptosis, causes brain to die off faster than it's supposed to die off. Natural progesterone causes brain regeneration and brain protection. So the problem is in America, they black box all progesterones as progestins when natural, the one your body make does the opposite than the ones that those, these synthetic are. And where do you get the natural? Through a compounding pharmaceutical? Yeah, it's, the, it's in that four structure, you talk the gonane structure. There's a molecule called a sterol, which is close to that in plants, yams and... Um, um, yams and soy are the two major ones that have that structure in there. So I'm going to say easy. It's not easy, but it's an easier way to when you already have that four ring there to continue making out the structure. So it's a, it's a carbon with 21, it's a molecule with 21 carbons in those four rings. The Provera, the synthetic mm-hmm. progesterone, mm-hmm. you know, you talked a little bit, a lot about that in the last few minutes and you're just one OBGYN that's been in practice for 30 plus years sold it. Now you're the owner and founder of Optimal Bio. And this data you've picked up, you know, is you picked up through, you know, doing ser- your own searches, doing, you know, the, you have professors, obviously, that you read papers and, you know, all mm-hmm. that good stuff. So this is one area that I know we got to be a little bit careful with, but I really want to try to go down this this hole a little bit is if you know this stuff, then why don't the other OBGYNs out there know it when they're prescribing synthetic? And more importantly, why don't the drug companies, and I don't, I don't want to have an answer of, well, it's, it's all about money because I know at the end of the day it is, but how, how do they not know this stuff? I don't know, Jim. You asked Dr. Greg Brandon 20 years ago. I would say I believed in giving hormones. But I believed that a bioidentical is equivalent to a synthetic. It turns the same receptor site on. I would believe that the books I'm reading and the recommendations I'm getting from the boards have done their research. Then I started thinking, Jim, outside the box. I use insulin as an example. If our pancreas makes insulin, these called beta cells, and if the insulin is stopped being made, this is type 1 diabetes, not type 2, type 1 diabetes, because a breakthrough in history, you know, one of the major big breakthroughs in medical history was in the 20s when they isolated uh, insulin. And for diabetics that had no insulin type 1 again, they replaced it with insulin. In fact, before they had insulin, these poor guys were dying of cardiovascular disease, glaucoma, renal disease, all these problems because they could not lower the blood sugar because they didn't have the molecule. 
there are there are for type two, it's different. Type two, it's there's too much insulin and they're it's resistant. That's something else. But it's a focus on type one. So an organ in our body, the pancreas, a cell called the beta cells of Langerhans makes this hormone. These people don't have that hormone. What was the what was the 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 this the the experiment and the final treatment that was blew the world open? They found insulin and they gave them insulin. They started with with first they started with um, um, bovine. So it was close enough to human insulin. They used it. Then they had a big blowout, a big study in the eighties where they got E. coli bacteria and they genetically modified it to get a human genome to make human insulin. Cause the goal was to replace it bioidentically. And that's what they did for insulin. But for sex hormones, nah, don't matter. And that's just in re- same thing with thyroid. Thyroid, we have, uh, we have, the, we have uh, the pig thyroid for some reason. It's the identical, the same T1, T2, T3, T4, and the same ratio that our body makes, same structure. Uh, we, will, we can argue about Synthroid later on, but we know that's what they were given. But again, we have this hormone that has, besides the fertility benefits, the fertility function, it has three, four other functions that go over the brain, the skin, the heart, the bone, the, 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 the gynecological area, over and over and over again. But we say it's okay to live without it or replace with something that's not the same structure, but close. So I, I, don't, I don't have an answer to tell you, Jim, why, but Greg Brandon, I don't want to say the word brainwashed, I was educated, is that it's the same. But when I started thinking outside the box, it was like, whoa. And you know, Dr. Amid, who got, who woke me up about 20 years ago and I, you know, came back later was because my, in my book, I wrote in the Hormone Handbook, I go, my arrogance led to my ignorance. I would not look outside the so-called literature. I got a book right here. Those of you who can see that, I'll read the title of it. It's called Sex Hormones in Neurogenic Diseases and Processes. It's out of Belgium. It's, it's beautiful, 15 chapters of pure science. It's from one year ago. I just think the current data is, and I'm not here to b- b- uh, jump on Big Pharma, Jim. I think they're trying to help as much as possible, I'm not anti that. But they know they cannot own an organic function, an organic molecule. They must change its function. I believe they're changing the function in their mind to make it more stronger or weaker, to be more efficient and how to go through the, bypass the oral system, you know, sub, to bypass the, the, uh, the way you would digest it. So I don't think the motive is bad, but if it's not the same structure, atom for atom, molecule for molecule, 3D structure, it's not going to do the same thing, even if it's in the key, Jim. So I, I don't think it's anything malicious. I really believe it's just, I'm going to use the word ignorance. That's what I used for me, is I thought I knew it all. And then you should look outside the box. Is there? Cause my thing is, I use insulin as an example again. The pioneering change was we had E. coli was able to produce this insulin structure that was identical to ours, and it revolutionized insulin medicine. So I still think the same things happen in our field, Jim, is we can find a way to give the exact same structure at the same levels that are on a sick population. I believe we're revolutionized medicine personally. I think you might be right on that. So are the doctors then that prescribe the synthetic over the, the bioidentical, are they saying that the synthetic does not cause cancer and the uh, bioidentical does cause cancer? No, Jim. I, in fact, the fact uh, Prempro is actually black box and does increase breast uh, breast cancer. It says that increased blood clots, but there's our benefits. Um, so, those who give hormones synthetically, I still believe, is superior to nothing. There's a great book called Estrogen Matters that goes through the 2002 paper phenomenally. Um, that has that paper has been destroyed in literature since it came out. So, I believe Prempro is better than nothing, without a doubt, without a doubt. It showed in that study, the Premarin arm had decreased colon cancer, decreased osteoporosis, but it did increase blood clots and high blood pressure, and the Provera arm increased breast cancer and cardiovascular events. But there still are benefits. So that was the paper that sort of got me thinking in 2002, 2003. Is there a way to get the benefits without the side effects? And I be- in fact, the paper, Estrogen Matters, is very interesting, Jim, I think it was Hopkins, went back and looked at that study like 15 years later. And they, the question was they were asking was how many lives are saved by stopping hormones? And their conclusion was roughly an extra 19,000 extra deaths occurred because of dementia and cardiovascular disease by stopping it. And that was a synthetic one. So I believe you're just comfortable with what you're comfortable with. If you're comfortable, and that's with me, that's what I'm talking about, Greg Brand. I was comfortable with the literature I was given on the PremPro. Later on, I changed from PremPro to what's called estradiol, which is synthetic estrogen. 
So it was, it's, it's as close, it's the exact same structure our body takes, but it take orally, so it's a much higher dose. And then I gave natural progesterone called Prometrium, which were both oral. It just, it, it, I, now that I know, I was missing testosterone, which is one of the, the most important one. But I changed from the Prem Pro one, Jim, over time to the oral um, bioidentical as possible. The Prem Pro, the, excuse me, the Prometrium and the Estradiol. So I think there are, I'm just happy doctors that give those. That's the most common now over Prem Pro is the Estradiol orally and the, Prem, and the uh, Prometrium orally. Uh, the problem again is with those two, there's one standard dose. This dose fits everybody. Well, Prometrium, there's two doses. Estradiol, there's two doses. But that can't fit a five foot, 100 pound woman is not the same as a five, six, 180 pound woman. So I do believe how we can fine tune with compounding pharmacy, the actual, we have multiple dosages based upon an algorithm we get precisely for that woman to get in, again, optimal ranges. And we don't use super physiological levels. We use physiological levels from the, from the data as far back as we can go where they're not impaired by the neuroendocrine disruptors as much as we possibly can do. Also, you know, just reading up on it as well. I mean, you have your oral, you have shots, you have suppositories. I mean, this stuff's not, you know, it's, I would say it's not exactly um, utilitarian as it relates to, you know, trying to treat a patient. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's probably going to be some issues with suppositories, for example, and injectables and so on and so forth. Right. Again, it has to go to biochemistry. How can we mimic the, an endocrine gland does not communicate from point A to point B. What it does is it, it pushes out in the bloodstream. It's in this major highway. And then every certain exit that needs it grabs it. So you want to mimic that. And so the shots are this big depot at one time. It sits in the muscle. Project, it's a very painful shot. It's made. It's in peanut oil. The progesterone shot is. So they have a, you have a spike and then and then it's this this downward. Uh, orally, you have to take a much higher dose because it's eaten up by the liver called first uh, first bypass. Um, the believe it or not, the the suppository vaginally or rectal is actually the best because it goes to the bloodstream the easiest that way. But it is messy and convenient. Um, and most of those have fillers or have other app, uh, uh, adhesives that can actually mess up the application. The goal I want to have is, again, mimic the best we can. If it sits, if we put a pure hormone in fat tissue, which is very vascular, that mimics it over your testicle better, better than anything else. And it's a steady state as well, which is very important. So why is, don't want to go, I really want to dive into this neurohealth piece of it now. And, you know, I read somewhere where progesterone is considered a neurosteroid. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's Go into a little detail on that. Um, and, you know, if you can, you know, try to be, I guess uh, when we start talking about the brain, it can get complicated. Um, you know, pretend we're sixth graders at this point in time. Yeah, I have to go maybe a third grade for myself. Yeah, it's, again, has to do with the way this, again, the classical way is the ovary squirts it out. The cells that need it, called the, pro- the endometrium in the brain grabs it and does its function with it. But now we're knowing it could be made instantaneously in, in the neuron to neuron area. So the neurostere part is it's a modulator. It helps increase serotonin, which is a mood enhancer. The big one is GABA. These GABAs block the excitatory. A brain being overexcited is not healthy. And so this blocks that excitatory reaction. That's his bigger, that's his biggest job. So when you talk about neuromodulation, uh, neurofunction, uh, neurosteroid, it's all, it's a nerve to nerve level. It's to make uh, the myelin sheath stronger. One thing it does is when cells die, how they die is they influx fast amounts of calcium. When calcium comes in, picture a, uh, uh, a water balloon absorbing water is going to burst at a time. So that's what happens when the calcium comes in. When the calcium comes in so in flux, that will kill the cell. That's called apoptosis. When it's when it's regulated properly and the body's killing the bad cells, the, the, the dead cells, the sensitive cells, that's a perfect way to do it. The problem is in rapid dementia, uh, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, frontal lobe uh, dementia, these kind of problems, you're getting a fast increased lobe of calcium coming in, which then causes these cells to die off. That's an uncontrolled apoptosis. Progesterone protects that. That's probably the, that's probably the simple way to say it is progesterone protects the function, the structure, and the death of brain cells. 
If you're suffering from Parkinson's, then wouldn't the course of treatment be progesterone? Parkinson's again, I think, I think progesterone would be a, a component. Parkinson's is very interesting. There's a part of the back of the cerebellum called the Septantia niagara, which makes dopamine, which controls the neuros to the, the nerve to the muscle talking. So the question is, why does that part die off? So when that dies off, it's, um, I believe when you look at the studies, Dr. Um, oh, uh, was Raymond Butler, uh, Blaylock from LSU written multiple papers on this, that it's a inflammatory disease. Basically everything's inflammatory disease and it's, it's target those cells. So a healthy, in fact, this book right here I just talked about has a whole chapter on Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and progesterone and estrogen. So yes, the future is going to be keep those in a youthful, a youthful modality. And that's, what's really interesting, Jim. It's, it's, we don't want an insulin based upon our age. We want an insulin that keeps our blood sugar optimal, regardless of age. I believe we should look at the same way as sex hormones. What's the optimal sex hormone level to keep the cells youthful, regardless of the age? And I think that's what's gonna help the brain work, the heart work, the muscle work, the bone work, you know, whatever works down, whatever cell we're talking about. But I think the future is gonna be specific modulators of progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, help the brain be more healthy, adaptable, keep the mitochondria healthy. So that's an interesting comment you made. So what does that mean, actually? Does that mean that we take um, progesterone, testosterone levels uh, for the average female or male, you know, at 28 years old when they're in optimal health and that's the levels you keep them at when they're 60, 70, and 80 years old? Yes. Is that, is that what you're talking beautiful. about? Beautiful. Now, okay. How I'm do you talking, do that, though? Well, okay. Well, I know how we can do it with testosterone, but how do you do it with everything else? Beautiful. I'll be very clear on progesterone, though. It's primarily for women we're talking about. Men at very, very, very low doses because too much progesterone in a man increases just the thing you're trying to stop, inflammation, okay? Men and women are different. It's very important. It's not this ain't a political issue. I haven't heard that lately. Yeah, we are different from the womb. We're different genetically. We're different uh, physiology. Uh, There's different ways our body works. So back to how we do it. I believe for estrogen and testosterone to get those levels optimal, I believe the pellet route is the closest to our organs possible. Progesterone, taking orally is easier. It is a higher dose, but it does not cause any problems to the liver. The cytochrome P150 is not increased blood clot mechanisms. And one of its metabolites does protect the brain, the GABA. That's why I give it before bedtime. It helps sleep, helps protect the brain. So that's how we give it is because you want to try to mimic our body's response. So I think that's the way it goes, Jim. And again, the sign, the hard part is this, Jim, is that my doctor says, it's okay, for my age, we deal with that every single day. And I'm not, I'm not hammering these doctors. That was me too. But why does age have to be a variable? What is the best level for us, period? And, and I think that what is the best level for all these things adds up, Jim, is to do one thing, is to make the mitochondria within that cell type to be its optimal. In Parkinson's, this mitochondria gets, in, gets dysfunctional, gets inflammation, and it dies off. The can't, there's a theory on cancer that cancer is most likely a hyperglycemic event causing the mitochondria to become dysfunctional and therefore has that cell die off and potentially stop its, its normal death cycle. So we want to decrease inflammation. We want to uh, make the cells stronger. So do you want the bicep, or the, the, the glute, the pec of a 22-year-old or an 82-year-old? It's not that hard to me, Jim. It's, it's, it makes complete sense because I want the blood sugar that's optimal. I don't want it based upon my age. And I believe that's, that's basically the underlying foundation of optimal bio. True. But we don't, if I'm going to be counter to that, we don't know what, you know, a 22 year old hormone level will look, will, what kind of effect it'll happen on an 82 year old person. Uh, I I think we do, Jim. I think we see that. I see we, I've had, you know, 20,000 patients replaced over years. So uh, you have objective data. You have more push-ups, more pull-ups. The biggest thing for overall mortality is working out three days a week. But one of the biggest ones is your grip strength. You hang from a pull-up bar, can you hang over 30 seconds? If you can hang for two minutes, you're an Olympic athlete. Those things can be objectively mattered the the higher our testosterone, estrogen, progesterone levels are. Because I don't care, you would not detune your car because it's older. 
Do you tune your older car to its optimal rate? Of course you do. You want to keep the spark plugs, the gas, everything the, the same way. Same with our body, Jim, is you want to keep it at optimal range. I get all that stuff, but I'm saying at the end of the day, uh, there's some people out there that, you know, think that if you're 82 and you have 22-year-old hormones that you're, you're going to live to be 135 years old, let's say. No, no, no. Um, Equality of age, this is, the, this is the, other, the other way is the oxymoron, is if I do hormones, I will be healthy for a shorter period of time. That's incorrect. If you do bioidentical hormones, you're, again, you and I, we don't start the heartbeat. God starts the heartbeat and stops the heartbeat. So I can't talk about that. But the quality, your health, we start dying off about 35. We, see our, we get it. We start, I think disease, age is a disease. I was dying off around 35 is our peak. We start falling down. We're going to die of cardiovascular disease, cancer, neurogenic diseases, and falling down. Those are the four biggies as you age. Can we push that out? So the curve is not down, but it goes flat and then dies at say 90, 95. I believe that can be done. Peter T has some great studies on that as well to show the data on that. And his data is on being working out strength, how long you sit in a squat, those things. But all that thing's great. But how can we get our body to do those things? And that's why I believe exercise with the optimal testosterone level, fasting with optimal, well, testosterone and progesterone level is the, is, the, is, the, is the secret sauce, is that these cell types will be more functionally optimal when they have their levels at a youthful, at a youthful chemistry. I don't understand why I have to accept age, have to accept, accept aging as a disease and say it's okay. I think we should accept aging gracefully. It's great, but why not have the healthy level and see what that does? And I think we have studies of that to show that data. So getting back to progesterone, how do you know if you're low or not? Is it a lab test? It's a lab test and clinically. If you're, it's mainly a woman again, if you're skipping cycles, the phrase we hear is estrogen dominant. It's not necessarily they're making more estrogen. It's because they're not making progesterone. They may be estrogen dominant from synthetic estrogens. So therefore what we have is here is we have a, not, if you don't ovulate, you won't make your progesterone. But progesterone is only 10 days a month during a reproductive, say age 13 to 51. That's all it is. But that's also when a woman's at her peak, their brain power, their cognitive, their, their, their intimacy, their bone structure, their skin. Uh, we can focus on what it does in the heart, the brain, the bone. Uh, progesterone helps make bone with estrogen testosterone, helps make the elasticity of the skin, less wrinkles, um, helps the contractility of the heart, helps the neurotransmitters of the brain. So all those are beneficial if you're 80 or 18. So let's go through those real quick. Let's talk about the benefits for the heart. We did the brain. Let's do the heart. Very important. The progesterone uh, keeps uh, keeps a rhythm for the heart. Backs with the neuromodulatory aspect of it. Elasticity of the coronary arteries. They've helped blood pressure stay lower. Um, the calcium influx, again, is very, very important for the heart modality. That, that, again, association with our testosterone and estrogen. So that's what it is for the heart. Cardiovascular disease is big on that. That's why, again, the Provera, the synthetic, has been shown to cause a spasm, probably with a calcium influx problem. So it's more of a, 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 a it's called a prince metal angina. We get a heart, it's a spasm causing a heart, uh, causing heart ischemia. Then the heart attack is that never reopens. Um, so, Jim, it, it makes the whole cardiovascular system more elastic and stronger output and resilient. Skin. Skin, collagen, elasticity, um, the, fir- the the thickness of the mucosa area of it. It keeps it from aging. Um, estrogen and testo- estrogen primarily is also anti, uh, anti-inflammatory, anti-oxidation. So again, it keeps the skin aging properly. With these spike in skin cancers in the last 20 or 30 years, is that, I'm sure you'll have the right answer for this, uh, or your answer at least, but- <laughs> I don't know, right. Is that part of that? Not necessarily the- the sun, but more about the fact that our hormones are messed up? Yeah, Jim, I really believe so. Um, UVA and UVB. UVB is necessary to convert um, cholesterol to vitamin D. Necessary. Vitamin D is very potent at stopping damage from UVA waves. So UVB makes our body make vitamin D which protects the skin, the DNA aspect of the skin. There's this thing called cysteine bonds. When they break, they cause the DNA to fragment. UVA causes that. UVB protects by making vitamin D. These these sunblocks, Jim, other than zinc oxide by itself, they block UVB, a perfect skin thing. So I believe there's an association with increased skin cancer. There's some studies showing sunglasses blocking UVA, uh, UVB rays have increased skin cancer as well because 
again, you're not, you're not allowing vitamin D to convert. So a long way around, if a vitamin, if a skin blockage of UVA, that's the optimal sunscreen is the blocks UVA, not UVB. How about bone? Bone. This is great. So in menopause, a woman stops making estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, and she loses 5% of her bone mass every single year. So what happens is what hormone makes bone, makes, make, makes bone become bone? All three of them. So these things called osteocytes, bone cells, by testosterone become osteoblasts. Osteoblasts make bone. Osteo class break bone down. Greg, why do we break bone down in a healthy state? Because we need calcium to talk to the cells. So where do you store this calcium? In your bone. So it's, uh, the skeletal bone is not just a hard, non-movable, uh, it's a live organ, a functional cell. It's functionally moving at all times. And so it's making bone, breaking bone down every millisecond. So when menopause happens, what happens is you stop making the bone you lose estrogen because estrogen slows down the brain breakage and progesterone augments that. So when you have your hormones, you actually, with pellets, you actually gain 8.3% of bone per year. So osteoporosis is a non-factor. And women think it's, and people think it's only the women factor. This is important. Around 50,000 women a year die of osteoporosis and its complications, which is more than breast cancer. Um, and it protects the bone. And men, 25% of men with age get osteopenia and osteoporosis. So if you go on hormones, you actually make more bone. You, you can't help it. The medical ones make hard bone, which is brittle. And the studies have shown after five years, you increase your jaw breaking and your hip, your hip breaking. It snaps off. It's a hard, brittle bone. Natural bone is strong and pliable. So when you mentioned medical, I assume you meant synthetic in this case. Yeah, the biphosphates. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Blood. Any any benefits? It it makes it, it appears to be more uh, more uh, less viscosity, less friction when it flows through the endothelial lining. Emotions. Oh, it's great. It could be in the, back to your, the word you used about twenty minutes ago. The neuromod neurosteroid. It's a neuromodulator. It causes the endorphins to go up. The primary neurotransmitter helps the serotonin, which is a mood stimulant, a mood uh, controller, all naturally in the brain level, because the precursors to the serotonins, the dopamines, the neurotransmitters are made in the gut. They transmit up the vagus nerves to the brain and then the steroids incorporate them into the cell and the modularity. That's one of the cutting edge of the book I read. The cutting edge data is the, the quickness in which these could be produced at the, at the neuron to neuron level to help produce and protect emotions. The studies on libido, on depression, anxiety, great people from the NIH, it was focused on testosterone showing the data of the, um, the neuromodulation. So yeah, we use it a lot with uh, PTSD and TBI for the brain formation. Is there a specific endocrine disruptor that is more potent, I guess, than others that's messing everything up? Yeah, you look at phthalates is a big one. The volume, the volume of Roundup is huge and volume, Roundup attacks so many different things. There's one called atrazine, which is a, a pesticide um, that has, it's been shown to change the phenotype. That's the exterior of males into females. Uh, in, in frogs and fish. and But you look at the, at the PVC piping, uh, plasticizers, dyes, uh, uh, women who throw birth control pills down the down the toilet, uh, toilet into our water system. I mean, the, there's a great book called Estrogenation that goes to the top 10, red dye three, red dye 40. Um, and when I say estrogen, it does affect the whole neuroendocrine disruptor. By, by having higher synthetic estrogens, you affect estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone. Which reminds me, Blood clots, you know, the medical community, you know, from my reading today has warned us that progesterone causes blood clots. Now it goes again, progestins is a group within that group. You have the synthetic arm and the bioidentical arm. It's the synthetic arm. Okay. The Provera arm, the metaproxy progesterone arm. That's the one that augments the, the clotting and also the route of administration, a synthetic taken uh, orally has an increase in this, in this clotting, the clotting um, factors that are made in the, the liver. So not bioidentical. Because the thing about Jim, if, that's what you say. Yeah, that's what I say. But there are, there's zero papers to show natural P4 increased blood clots. None. Zero. So, because if a hormone, if a hormone used in fertility that causes the baby, let me back up. Uh, one of my things I did a lot of was an OBGYN was recurrent miscarriage. And a woman who has uh, three miscarriages in a row 
has 11% increase of having a thing called thrombophilia, which is a blood clotting disorder genetically. And the placenta is supposed to be a clear filter with no blood clots. And what holds that placenta in place is progesterone, natural progesterone. So the one that causes miscarriage is one that causes clots. So if the hormone our body makes to sustain pregnancies would cause clots, how long would we be here? We'd have more kids. It'd be over with. You know, that's, what, that's the sad thing going on right, right now. We've seen the last two years, a 11,000% increase in thrombophilic or clotting disorders. 11,000% in the last two years. Is that due to the spike protein? I, I think it might be. When you read Malone's papers and McCullough's papers, it appears to be. Yeah, cause I, I found it a little bit um, confusing when you're reading this literature because they, they don't really go into great detail on the difference between the bioidentical and the synthetic progesterone. And there's all this verbiage in there about uh, it could cause blood clots, strokes, heart attacks. And then you read a little bit further down and, you know, there, there's the, the typical paragraph that, you know, basically walks back, you know, the, the four paragraphs above as there's been no proven papers yet that, you know, show that it can cause all this. So they, yeah, at the end of the day, if you're just the regular person, you're just, you're confused, you know, mm -hmm. when you're, when you're reading this stuff. Right now we're in the process of writing another book, Jim, and this one's going to be, hope to tell a story to, to actually get people engaged in what, what health is and then throw the science at them. Because when you tease out, when you tease out bioidentical versus synthetic, there's something there. And what's interesting is the people will bad mouth and say bioidentical is just a marketing tool. The arrogance to believe that I can make a molecule superior to what nature made is blows my mind. That, that, that to me blows my mind is the arrogance that I can make something better than with this, that this body was made with. And I understand you can make something stronger, sometimes weaker. I got that, but it's not going to be the same what your body makes. So uh, we're collecting a lot of data to show the difference because when you tease out and take out the synthetic, you heard me 20 minutes ago. I still will take synthetic over nothing. Knowing the risk factors, there's so much benefit to be on hormones, synthetic or bioidentical, that to me, it's, it's, not, it's worth it. But why not decrease that as much as possible? And I just can't see any data shows a natural hormone, given the most bioidentical route, has increased that. You said it yourself, even the data that says it's bad, the last paragraph is, but there's nothing here. And in, in particular in pellets, we have the literature from 1935. This is not new. So if there was a population off dying off by doing this, we'd have seen that subgroup. And we know that from the testapel pellet, which is the, the one that's approved and meant for the FDA, they have a, an inorganic molecule that's known to cause disintegration and potentially blood clots. So we know that. So let's try to avoid that and try to do something that's bioidentical. And I go back to our insulin studies, Jim. The great, great breakthrough in America in, in science history was to have a bacteria produced the exact molecule, atom for atom, that revolutionized diabetes disease. So let's look at it from a practical perspective. Obviously, we have patients at Optimal Bio that are, you know, getting treated um, with the bioidentical pellet. Um, but I'm sure some of them are on, on the bioidentical progesterone as well. So what would they be, be getting treated for? Okay, so let's go over menopause first. If they're in menopause and you have a uterus, then you got, if you, we've known from studies from the 60s, if you give hormone, bioidentical bio or synthetic estrogen without progesterone to oppose the uterine lining, you increase uterine cancer two to six fold. So it's there to protect the uterus. That's the older data. And I agree hundred percent behind it. But the newer stuff, again, the standard care, if you have no uterus, don't give progesterone, uh, Provera, because you don't have, you're not gonna increase your cancer of the uterus. You don't have a uterus anymore. But Jim, we just spent the last half hour talking about the other benefits in the brain, the heart, the bone. The big one to me is the brain. Women, for some reason, have a three to five fold increase in dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And it appears because there's a thing called a critical window where they drop their hormones immediately. Men gradually lose it. That quickness of dropping may be the thing that increases neuronal death. And back to the progesterone again, when the, when the hormones go down and the receptor called the progesterone has an A and a B, if there's more A receptors on the membrane, it's been shown to kill, cause more cell death in the brain faster than the B, which protects it. So these are these are, these are theories, but we don't see this in a 30-year-old woman. 
a 35 year old woman. So why not get to levels there? I'm trying to mimic here at Optimal Bio, their luteal phase when women are usually their best. Highest progesterone, highest estrogen, uh, high estrogen, and a high testosterone level. When I mean high in their optimal ranges. Again, very clear. If today's range of testosterone, testosterone example, three to 41 is what they call a woman today. Five, six years ago, it was six to 60. When I was in school, it was 70 to 200. Why are they lower? Because the neuroendocrine disruptors. Progesterone though, the range is pretty much never changed because it has to do with ovulation. Looking back to ovulation time, a woman should be around 0.5 before ovulation, about up to over, over three, higher, closer to 10 when they're trying to get pregnant. So we know that range women pretty consistently. So I just want to keep a youthful chemistry, Jim. That's all I want to do. And a, a youthful biochemistry. Excellent. Well, is there anything else you want to add to this? No, no um, you, had, you said way back when, Jim, what, what should people do? Do you trust your doctor? Yes. Do you, do you question your doctor? Yes. <laughs> the thing is, yes. You question your mechanic. Yes. You question everything. Uh, you know, Reagan, uh, you know, trust but verify. I think, you know, I don't say trust optimal bio, Greg, please do your research. I'll show you uh, what I'm on. My wife's on, my family members on, but I show that, but it took me around two years to convince myself this is different than, 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 um, than the synthetics are being on nothing. So I understand that journey. And that's why it's important. Your journey is your journey. There's no race to it, but educate. You have, you have a study of one period. It's your life. It's your study of one. And you, I don't want you people to settle. And I think we could optimize that life with a lot of things. We talk about sleep and exercise, uh, nutrition, uh, replace the hormones and try to decrease stress. We do that properly. I believe we could age gracefully and have great years as we, 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 we check out of here. And so my thing, Jim, is it goes back, we talk about this every single time, the five things, but the biggest thing is you must be educated and don't be afraid to question your doctor, please. Um, the more you read, the more you Google, bitch, you drumble. I don't care. Just read and ask questions because it is very, very confusing. And that's why I put that in my, my introduction of our other book, the Hormone Handbook. I put my, again, my arrogance of the migrants. I thought I knew everything. How could I know something? That was, you know, so many years ago, there's a, there's a book, a life force that says medical science advances every 72 days. That's something. So if your doctor is not current and studying, there are classic things that are classical for a reason. We don't lose those foundational principles, but we should ask questions because I listened to Jason Fung this weekend about this whole idea of calorie in, calorie out and intermittent fasting. He goes, he goes for the last 60 years, we've tried calorie in and calorie out. Now 65% of Americans are obese. We know that hasn't worked. Same thing here. We know we're getting sicker more dementia, something's going on. So let's try to make this beautiful body we have as, as optimized as possible to not just survive, but thrive. And I believe we can see it. Again, Jim, I do believe the science of holistic, allopathic merging together, specific peptides and hormones, nutrition supplements are the future. But the base, the core base is exercise, eating right, sleeping. If you're not doing those, these other things aren't going to help you per se, except for hormones, because you sleep better, exercise better, eat better if your hormones are balanced. So to me, that's the catch 22. I want to do those three things, but I could do them optimally if my levels are at the physiological levels, which will help you motivate us to do the right things. So on another note, how's the uh, book going? Oh, it's been beautiful. I've been working on the last about two months. Um, we're just trying to, I'm getting the dad out here, but I really want to engage him with a story for the first 60 or so pages on this path of thinking, of education, of freedom, of liberty, and and uh, the data's there. And then we throw the dad at him. But right now it's exciting as heck because it is, again, our life is our own journey, right? And I, I think it's, it's, it's exciting because when you read books like Life Force, Obesity Code, or Carnivore Diet, or um, Two Meals a Day, all these things are out there because I... I believe our medical system has failed and not on purpose, Jim. I believe when the government got involved to dictate where it goes, we can make mistakes. And I don't want that to happen. I want people to be free. There's a great essay by a guy named Bastia in 1850. It's called The Law. It talks about what the foundation of liberty is. And I believe medicine is going to be something in the future, or healthcare will be something where individual people, individual choice will lead to a healthier population base. And, I, and I, I'm excited watching this at our age, Jim, watching this transpire, I mean, part of it. 
Um, so yeah, I think the book's going to be engaging. Yeah. Can't wait to read that once, once it gets out. And I think we're, what, you're targeting the first, second quarter of 2023 for it to come for out? For the chapter for you to read, the book will be done probably in yeah, February for you, yes. The general public, we'll see how the, mar- the marketing does and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that should be sometime, I hope second quarter, third quarter, the latest. Sounds good. So you talked about read, read, read. If you're a patient out there, as always, we end with five takeaways. You've given us one. What are the other four? What do you read? I, I say you go to Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic. I think you read those things. You may read a ton of data why they believe in statins. And then I want you to read, I got another great book called Fat and Cholesterol Don't Cause Heart Attacks and Statins Are Not the Solution by Paul Roche. I want you to read that. I want you to read as much on every side as possible and be open-minded and then look at the objective data. So to me, it's the read, read controversial um uh, controversial opinions. Um, uh, I think that's crucially important, but I'm going to go back to the, 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 the start with something we could do, Jim. I was about this today. I knew I'd get the five questions and I always do the same thing, but I want to start back in the basics. Number one, number one, I want people to learn to sleep. Please turn off your TVs. There's a study showing you should have no more than 50 lux of light. The last two hours before you go to bed, a lux is a power intensity of a light. Um, so you got to learn to sleep and, and let's start with that. And I'm not going over the, 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 uh, the hormones help. I got all that stuff. So this is what we could do today. I want you to exercise walking, just walking a half hour a day changes lives. And then I want you to find a way in how to eat. I know we get all caught up with all this calorie in, calorie out, keto, no keto, but Jason Fung's book, obesity code and his videos really make it simple. You look back just as late as the 70s, the average American did not eat 14 to 16 hours a day. They had three meals a day, but they ate it within an eight-hour window. Start with something like those three things. And, and one, one supplement, I'll throw in vitamin D. There's a great paper showing the four mechanisms of, of cancer fighting by itself. So to me, those are things you start today that's, no, that's not difficult. Sleep, walk, and eat within eight hours and add vitamin D. Do those three things, those four things, and you if you never change your optimal hormones, you never do anything else, you're in a better state of position. Well, Greg, thank you again for another wonderful podcast. Looking forward to getting this out to the public. And as always, it's been great. Take care. This has been a production of Optimal Bio. Optimal Bio is CEO Tyler Brannon, podcast host and partner Jim Baker, medical director Greg Brannon. Production assistance by Core Media. Beth Grabencourt, Administrator. Kevin Duthu, Executive Producer. The podcast can be found on our website, OptimalBio.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is Sunwave by Paradiso, provided by Epidemic Sound. 